Good morning. I invite you to stand as we worship this morning. Welcome, if you are new, to Evangel. We're glad that you're here. And good morning to all those who are watching from home. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time where we can gather together to worship you and draw close to you. Lord God, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And we ask that you would come and just draw us close to your side and help us to follow you, Lord God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
for me you've done for me. Amen. Yes, Lord God, we sing for all that you have done for us and you have done so much. Lord God, you are good and you are love. We thank you for your goodness, Lord God, and your great love. We worship you. Your love never 
Your love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails and never gives up, it never runs out on me. Amen. Good morning. It's a good message. It's one that we often need to be reminded of. His love never runs out for us. Well, say hi to each other before you're seated this morning. For And uh, nice to see you. Glad to have you here. Thank you. You may be seated. want to welcome all of you who are here today. Glad you could make it out on this uh, February long weekend and uh, to be here with us, to, to be celebrating together here uh, at EPC. We're glad you're here. For those of you who are watching from elsewhere, we're glad you're here too. And uh, welcome to the service and our prayer for all of us, whether we're here or watching from elsewhere, is that God by his spirit would touch our hearts and lives and encourage us and strengthen us and uh, help us to live uh, his kingdom uh, better than we could before. So we're glad that you're here. A couple of announcements and reminders this morning. Just want to keep reminding us that our annual business meeting, for those of you who hold official membership, is uh, Sunday, March the 27th at approximately 11.15 a.m., right after the service. And uh, it won't be a long meeting, but uh, we are looking forward to holding that meeting. And uh, also, uh, as part of that, we'll be electing two new admin council members. So the nomination uh, forms have gone out either by email or uh, hard copies. If you receive the copy here at the church, you can leave your uh, completed uh, nomination in the offering plate as you exit or, uh, or you can leave it at the office during the week, whichever you prefer to do. And of course, those you are doing it online, it just takes a few moments to do it uh, right online and it's submitted right away. So please keep that in mind. We also mentioned that last week, as of today, we would be uh, returning to visiting inside, and so uh, you're able to do that at the end of the service today if you want to stay around and visit inside instead of outside, and you're welcome to do that. Also have uh, an announcement about moving forward. As you know, uh, a number of restrictions are being uh, modified or lifted in the province as a whole, and uh, there are some things that have changed over the last little while that, uh, that were... Uh, reasons that we put certain things in place. And so now that as things are changing, we're able to lift some of those things. So, so there's some, some big changes coming between now and next Sunday uh, in terms of meeting here in the building. So today was the last time, uh, praise God, hopefully that we'll, we'll have to register, but there will be no registration moving forward at this point unless 
things turn really bad again at some point down the road and we have to go back. And so I'm cautious not to say that because who among us have not thought it was that's behind us and then here we are again. But uh, all things being considered, registration, uh, today was the last week of doing registration. As of next week, the registration desk will be put back in its normal place. All three sanctuary doors will be open for your accessibility. The, uh, the, the barriers, boundaries that are out there will be taken down and uh, you'll be free to come in and out of the building uh, without registering and to move through whichever doors are most convenient for you. And um, so just to let you know, now, mask mandates are still in place, so you'll still be required to wear a mask while inside the building. And also, uh, you know, physical distancing uh, recommendations are still in place as well. So just don't go, you know, loving on everybody all of a sudden because we still have to, we have to, Still have the kind of love from a distance. So, uh, but as of next week, a lot of those changes are are going to be happening, and over the next few weeks, some of we'll we'll wait to hear uh, direction on some of the others. So, uh, I just want to thank you because you know it's been a, it's been a long journey, and uh, you know I, I still remember when we were coming back and we had to implement registration and learning how we might want to do that, and and in you know setting up every week. I mean, I, I remember very clearly the weeks of. Jennifer and I in here every Friday afternoon, counting out chairs, my feet being about one foot, so six of my feet between chairs, making sure you were distanced and doing all that stuff to coming back and things. It's, it's been a long road, and I want to thank you for your cooperation and the fact that you, um, you know, respected and cared enough about each other to, to uh, abide by uh, the regulations that we felt we had to put in place to, to, to ensure to the best of our ability, everybody's safety. And we couldn't have done that without you. Not that it's all over yet, but, but we're making some significant strides and I just wanna thank you for, for all of that. So uh, please keep that in mind. All right, uh, kids, you are free to go with your kids ministry leaders are gonna uh, take you out to your area of ministry and I'm gonna hand it back over to Tyler. Thank you, Tyler. I invite you to stand again as we continue to sing together. It rages on the wall. 
Surely my God is the strength of my soul Your love defends me Your love defends me And when I feel
God loves us the way that we are, but he loves us too much to keep us there. He wants to bring us closer to him. He wants to transform us by his love. And sometimes, sometimes it, that's difficult because there's, you know, a tough side to love. You know, if you really love someone and you want what's best, that might mean, you know, God's got to remove some stuff in our lives and that'd be painful. And I think of my own kids, you know, when they do something that's wrong or they're going down, you know, a wrong road or something like that, the loving thing for me to do is to, you know, lovingly guide them and, and correct them and show them the way to go. So our Heavenly Father wants to bring us home to be with Him, and He wants us to be like Him. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to feel great or be easy. No, love can be very, very difficult, and it can hurt. And sometimes it might seem mean, but, but it's not. Whatever we've done, God, please forgive me. Please set me free. Please help me to follow you and to love with your love. Then we're on the right track. And we can trust in him.
please help us to trust in you, Lord God, with all our hearts and to love you with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul and all our strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord God. Those are the two greatest commandments you gave us and they were to love. And please help us to to know what that's going to look like for each and every one of us because we're all in, in different spots and we have unique relationships and family dynamics and jobs and vocations in life and and so it's going to look slightly different for each one of us and Lord God whatever we're confused about or we don't understand please help that to turn into awe instead of being brought down by the mystery of why is this happening or why this or that or I just you know I don't understand help Lord God for it to turn into being in wonder of you and not not angry with you or resentment or something like that but to be like a child just to be in awe of how far beyond us you really are and how we have to trust you because we are not going to get it we're not going to know it all we don't see it all and we're not supposed to and so God whatever it is that you have for us whatever you want us to do please help us Lord God by your grace and whatever is blocking that please please remove it and help us to to get it out of the way and and make the changes that we need to make. Please fill us with your love, Lord God, and help us to love with your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Luke chapter 15, and we are reading verses 8 to 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You may be seated. We are currently working our way through a series which we've entitled Love Beyond Boundaries based on the teachings of Jesus found in Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, a conflict arose between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were focused on establishing spiritual boundaries of who was in and who was out, and Jesus, when his actions and teachings blatantly ignored their boundaries. At the start of chapter 15, we are told that tax collectors and notorious sinners often came to Jesus to hear him teach and that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained because he welcomed these sinners and even ate with them. In Luke 15, we said that we find a series of three parables that Jesus told in response to their complaining in order to teach them 
that God's love cannot be contained by boundaries, that love is better than boundaries. So today we're looking at the second of the three parables. Now this may come as a surprise to some of you, but I was often bullied when I was growing up. I was poor, I was introverted, and that made me an easy target for bullies. It was the fall of my grade 11 year, and the previous year I had briefly dated a girl. We broke up. When I say we broke up, I mean it was, you know, it was both our ideas. Well, actually, she broke up with me, so that's basically what happened. And she was now dating someone from the other high school in our town. He and I came from completely different backgrounds. My family was poor. His family was very well off. His parents owned multiple high-profile businesses in our town. Every year, his family would go to places like Florida for vacation. They owned a big boat, which is, I have to say, the symbol that you have made it in this life. He owned a big boat, and they owned multiple, multiple snowmobiles. He was spoiled. He had everything he ever wanted and even had a brand new motorcycle. Their school let out earlier than ours, so he and his friends would show up at our school on their motorcycles at the end of the day so he could see his new girlfriend. Now, like most bullies, he was insecure for some reason. He knew that I had dated his girlfriend the year before and decided to humiliate me each day in front of the students of my school. I rode the bus home, and so each day he would strategically pull up on his motorcycle with his friends and wait by my bus. And as I approached the bus, he would verbally abuse me. He would threaten me by yelling out all of the things that he would do to hurt me in front of everybody. It's a different day now. You, you go to jail for that now, but back then that was just common schoolyard behavior. And so this went on for days. Every day I would board my bus completely humiliated and alone. But I remember the day it stopped. The same scene was playing out and, and I had taken one step up into the bus when I stopped walking. I had reached the breaking point. The bullying was going to stop today even if it meant that he was going to do all the things that he had been promising to do to me physically for all these days. By the way, as a disclaimer, I'm not recommending you do this. I turned around and I walked over to him. His friends were all around as usual. There were a lot of students watching. And I walked up to him and I looked him in the eye and I challenged him to get off the motorcycle and do to me what he had been promising and threatening to do to me for days. In that moment, thank God, the bully melted. He was speechless. His face turned blood red with embarrassment. And after a few moments of awkward silence, he drove off and never came back again. 
Some experiences that you have in life stay with you for a lifetime. That's been about 30 years for me. But what stands out to me still to this day, what's very vivid in my mind from that experience, as I think about that story, is still the incredible sense of loneliness that I felt as I stepped out to face him. An incredible sense of loneliness. Now, throughout this series, I have been attempting to see these familiar passages through fresh eyes. Because sometimes when you've been around the Bible your whole life, you you just kind of gloss over and and motor through scriptures because you've heard them so many times and you've heard sermons about them and you've read them and, and sometimes we don't slow down to see them through fresh eyes. And one of the and, I, and I'm trying to do that in this series. I'm trying to see these parables through fresh eyes. And so one of the new things that I've seen in all three parables that I really didn't pay attention to before is the loneliness of the one who is searching. The loneliness of the one who is doing the right thing by tearing down the boundaries and searching until they find. The shepherd set out alone to find the sheep. The woman is alone in her house searching for the coin. The father stood alone on the road searching the horizon for his lost son. There's a sense of loneliness that sort of hovers over these three parables. While tearing down boundaries impacts the entire community of faith, it's something as a community of faith, we collectively need to do, it starts with the response and actions of each one of us individually. And so today we're going to consider the second of these three parables, the parable of the lost coin. And throughout this series, we have been reminded, and will be reminded again today, that in the kingdom of God, love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, while they are different stories, they're really the same story. They're the same, they have the same message. The, the lost sheep focuses on a male shepherd in the wilderness, and the lost coin focuses on a female in her house. And Jesus provides the same message from different perspectives to help these Pharisees and teachers of the law see the value of the people that they were alienating, to see their need to welcome them back in. So we're going to follow the same pattern as we did last week. We'll start with losing. The setting of the story of the lost coin is inside the home of what I believe is a poor village woman. And I'll I'll tell you why I believe that. The lack of light suggests a lack of windows, which was common in a village peasant's home. The fact that she was the one searching and sweeping suggests there were no servants to do it for her. The value of each coin, while it was approximately a day's wage, that was a lot for a peasant, but... It wasn't really anything to cause a fuss over if you were a wealthy person. 
Pharisees that we find in this story were actually, if you pay attention to the Gospels, were actually more of a, a rural group. They appear during Jesus' rural ministry around Galilee and all of these different areas, but you'll notice that when Jesus gets to Jerusalem at the end of his journey and eventually is crucified there, we stop seeing Pharisees in the biblical accounts and their presence is replaced by the chief priests because Pharisees were typically rural religious leaders in the villages. I believe all of these things point to the fact that she was likely a poor rural village woman. The woman in the story owned 10 of these coins. Now, some people suggest that they were a part of her dowry, perhaps. Others, a part of her wedding headdress that that she would have owned and would have been valuable to her. Because a drachma, which is what this says here, is is Greek currency with the image of, uh, of a ruler stamped on it, and it was worth only a day's wage. It was likely money, currency that she owned. It was likely her savings. It was likely all she had. Villagers normally didn't have or deal in coins very often because they traded goods with each other in the markets. So having coins, even though it was a large amount, was rare. It was not unusual in biblical times, in these times, to tell the story of a man and not reference his wife. But it was unusual to tell the story of a woman and not mention her husband, since in these times, women were considered property of their husbands. And so oftentimes, if it's a story of a woman, if the husband isn't mentioned, it'll just say, well, she was a widow. The fact that Jesus even told the story about a woman demonstrated actually the high value that he placed on women. And that's another whole preaching series. But if you look through Luke and Acts, you'll see the incredible emphasis that Jesus places on elevating the value of women in a day when women were not valued as Jesus valued them. I believe she was likely a widow and the 10 coins probably represented all she had. But whatever the coins were, we know that to her, they were very valuable and she had lost one of them inside her house. And like the coin, these so-called sinners and tax collectors were lost. They were marginalized, rejected. They were deemed insignificant because of the boundaries established by the religious leaders who had failed in their responsibility to care for all people. The second thing we see is finding. As in the parable of the lost sheep, once again, Jesus asked a rhetorical question. She's lost her coin. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Well, the answer is obvious. Of course she does. Of course she does. She's poor. The coin is valuable to her. She can't pretend that it's worthless. The value of the coin motivated the search. It's because the coin was valuable that the search was taking place. Now, we're told that she lit a lamp. Again, we can gloss over that quite quickly. We know that peasant homes had only a few small openings in the mud walls, so it would have been very dark inside. And rural peasant people would light their homes with clay lamps with a wick. Perhaps you've seen one. If you've been to Israel, you probably came home with a souvenir. However, the cost of the oil to go in the lamp was expensive. And so they would often 
refrain from lighting the lamps unless and until they absolutely had to. In fact, some scholars suggest that the cost of the oil to find the coin would have come close to how much the coin was actually even worth. Now, like the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd had to bear the burden of carrying the sheep back home, in this parable, the poor woman had to bear the burden of the cost of using expensive oil in order to find her coin. In addition to lighting the lamp, she started to sweep in the dark corners, listening for the sound of the coin against a hard mud floor. There's an intensity in her search. The sweeping is symbolic. If you're doing grade nine English, you ask, what are the symbolisms in this story? Well, this, the sweeping and the broom is symbolic of her search as she's searching until she finds it. The coin had been displaced, but was now back in its proper place. The intensity of the search resulted in her finding her coin. And then finally, we see the celebrating. Once again, as in the parable of the lost sheep, a celebration takes place. This time in honor of a coin that had been found. A coin that symbolized the tax collectors. The coin that symbolized notorious sinners that had been cut off because of their behavior and the behavior and the boundaries of the religious elite. Friends and neighbors were once again invited to come and to celebrate that the lost coin had been found and was restored to its rightful place. And so Jesus told them in this story, in the same way I tell you, as he brings application to his story, he says, in the same way as this woman is celebrating finding this coin, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over these sinners these notorious sinners, these tax collectors who repent. The reference, once again, to in the presence of the angels of God, like last week we said, is less about a place, and it's a way for Jews to reverently refer to God without saying his name. And so, you know, Jesus was telling the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that God rejoices, that God celebrates those who have been lost but are now welcomed back. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law needed to follow this example. He's telling them this story so that they can do what the story does. And he says, you need to follow this example. Stop focusing on your boundaries and start accepting and celebrating the return of those that have been wrongfully alienated, who, by the way, happen to be very, very important to God. As we did last week, there are two areas that I would like to focus on as we ask ourselves today, how this parable might apply to us. The first thing I want to talk about is value. Value. My father grew up in poverty. He came from a poor family. On top of that, he had lived during a time when he and his family experienced the impact of the Great Depression and a world war. 
He raised a family on a small, a large family on a small income. And so consequently, he learned to live on less, to make the most of what he had. Now, one thing that stands out to me about my dad was that even though he had uh, experienced a serious work injury and had really messed up his back, (laughs) because he was so frugal, he would never walk by a coin that was laying on the ground and not pick it up. Even if it was just a penny. Remember pennies? Yeah. Even if it was just a penny on the ground, he would pick it up. A lifetime of struggle, of financial struggle, of survival, had taught him the value of every coin. Growing up, I often heard him say, and I said to my own kids, and in fact, recently, one of my kids said it back to me. Right? Just when you thought you did nothing right in raising your kids. It's that one little glimmer shows up that maybe just maybe something good came out of all that. And he would say, take care of the pennies and the dollars will take care of themselves. That was his his motto. Now, while I admit that I have adopted a lot of my father's frugal ways, some people think I'm cheap. My wife would say he's not cheap, but he is frugal. I am. I come by it innocently. My approach to a coin on the ground is very different than my dad's and depends really on the value of the coin. I mean, let's be honest. At at this point in life, I, I have to ask myself if it's worth going all the way down there to get it. And so, you know, if it was, it has to be worth something. I would, if I was walking along and there was a loony on the ground, I'd pick it up. If there was a toonie on the ground, I'd pick it up. A quarter, I'd think about it, but I probably would. would. But anything less, I want to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't. I'd see it, I'd think about it for a second, and I would just decide it's just not worth it. See, the truth is, The value we assign to something determines the intensity of our commitment to make sure we protect it, to make sure we search for it or pick it up if it's been lost. Jesus wanted the Pharisees and teachers of the law to understand that those that they had alienated and rejected and marginalized with their boundaries were actually very valuable to God And they were worth violating the boundaries for. So when he was accused of it, it was like, well, yeah, of course. They were worth it. Now, I want to say this morning, whether you're in this building or whether you're watching from somewhere else, I want all of you to know that regardless of what others may have told you, regardless of what you may have told yourself, regardless of what others may have done to make you feel insignificant, regardless of what you have done, you are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. You are priceless. You are irreplaceable. You are worth the cost of tearing down the boundaries 
that are keeping you out. You are worth that because you are valuable. God has never given up on you and God will never, will never give up on you. And to any boundary makers who are listening all over the world as you're seeing this service today, stop seeing issues and start seeing people. People created in the image of God. Like the coin in our story, his image is stamped on them. They bear his image. Stop seeing them as issues and see people as people who in the eyes of Jesus are so valuable that they were worth the price of his life. That's how valuable they are. People are valuable. You are people. <laughs> and you are valuable. You are valuable to God. Secondly, whoops, alone. I first became a lead pastor when I was 31 years old. For some reason, God thought that'd be a good idea. A couple of years later, I was elected to serve on our general executive of our denomination. Regular meetings were a part of serving on the general executive. And so we met to discuss issues and to make decisions that would shape the vision and the direction of our denomination. On one particular day, we were discussing an issue that the general superintendent thought was a minor issue, a small agenda item that we could just quickly move past and get on to the more important stuff, that the, the group would accept it quickly. However, a couple of the members had concerns about the issue. It might surprise you that I was one of them. My concern was about the people that this decision would affect. In fact, as we were discussing the issue, I was thinking of specific people back home in my church that would be negatively impacted, marginalized even, if this proposal went through. And so as they were discussing an issue, I was seeing faces of people that I cared about very deeply. For him, it was an issue. For me and a couple of others that held the same position, it was about people. As the discussion dragged on for much longer than he had hoped, and I know that having been a leader in meetings, it can get frustrating when you want to move the meeting along and the rest of the people just don't want to keep moving. The general superintendent became very frustrated, even agitated especially with me. <laughs> I know, can you imagine someone being agitated and frustrated by me? I know, right? Okay, that hurts a lot when you laugh like that. He was agitated and he was frustrated, especially with me, since I was being very vocal about my concerns. And at one point in the meeting when his frustration had met its peak, I remember him leaning across the table with fire in his eyes, godly fire in his eyes, 
his godly finger pointed squarely in my direction, and he said, if this is the way you plan to approach these issues in your ministry, I would like to warn you that you will end up standing alone. And I remember responding, because I was too young to be smart enough to keep my mouth shut. I want you to know that I have no problem standing alone. His words to me that day were prophetic. Because there have been many times throughout the years that I personally have taken a stand for people over issues or over opinions and I have felt very alone. But now, like way back then, I'm still okay with that. I'm still okay with that. You see, if we're going to become people who stand up for love, love, I'm saying love, who stand up for love. Next week, we're going to talk about freedom, but today we're talking about and love, but today we're talking about love. If we're going to be people who stand up for love, if we're going to be people who are committed to love beyond boundaries, we're going to experience some level of loneliness, even though there may be others who are standing with us, who agree with us, who hold the same view. There's a sense of loneliness that comes with standing up and tearing down boundaries and seeing people over issues. Loving others, tearing down the boundaries that divide us require that, first of all, we are individual followers of Jesus. And we live and respond to others as he lived, Jesus, as he taught, as he responded to others. First and foremost, we are individual followers of Jesus who must follow and emulate and become like him. And I can testify firsthand that doing that, making that decision that you want to be like Jesus, making that decision that you're going to try and live your life the way you see Jesus having lived his and what he taught about life and what he's asked of us, I can tell you that if you do that, most likely you will, ironically, feel very alone on many occasions. Because within the church world, if we are to be honest, tearing down the boundaries that divide us, standing for love above everything else, Valuing people over issues is most often the exception to the rule. It just is. We can pretend it isn't, but the truth is, it is. And being someone who is willing to go against the tide and love beyond boundaries will result in an overwhelming sense of loneliness. I'm going to invite Tyler to come back. Folks, we only need to revisit Jesus hanging in the, on the cross, which is what is the most beautiful picture we will ever see of loving beyond boundaries that you can ever imagine, of tearing down walls of inviting in the marginalized to see 
the supreme example of the loneliness that's a part of loving beyond boundaries. Is there a more lonely picture in Scripture than the Son of God hanging on a cross, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The boundary removal process, loving beyond boundaries, is done within the reality of loneliness as each of us steps up to do what we know is right to do even if it's not what the church as a whole has been focused on because in the kingdom of God love cannot be contained by boundaries because everyone is equally valuable to God Would you stand with us this morning? Tyler is going to lead us and then we're going to pray. This is my desire to as we come before you this morning we collectively and individually offer that prayer up to you a prayer of surrender of who we are our whole lives to you a prayer of of desire to ask you to do in us what it is you want to do in us to do through us what it is you want to do through us. 
And so we pray again today that you would help us to be reminded from your words, from your mouth, the value of those who often fall outside the boundaries of the established religious environments. We pray today that you would help us to willingly and individually embrace the loneliness that is often accompanied with doing what you've asked us to do. And I pray, Lord, today that we would be a people who indeed love beyond boundaries. Today, we pray for those who are not able to be with us. Lord, we pray for Todd White today as we continue to pray for him, as he continues to receive treatment and journeying down this difficult cancer road. We pray for his family. We pray for your peace and your comfort and your strength. Lord, we pray the same for Edith as she each day struggles with pain and discomfort and the reality of living with cancer. God, would you bring peace and comfort and strength to her and to her family. And Lord, we pray for Emma today. And we thank you that for the good news that there was this week, that the level of rejection was very small and contained and that overall things are pointing in the right direction. That even though there are still many obstacles to overcome, good things are happening. And we pray for your complete healing in her little life today. And we pray for peace for her family as they care for her, as they walk with her through this. We pray for our nation today, Lord. We pray for the divisions to come down and for unity to be found in our country. We pray for your love and your peace and your strength and your wisdom to prevail. And we pray, God, that we would resist the temptation of becoming distracted from you and what you called us to do. That we might focus on what it is that you have called us to and what it is we do have in common and what it is that does unite us. So we pray for healing in our nation today. We pray for healing in our churches that are divided, towns and our cities. We pray that the Prince of Peace would bring peace to us. Lord, as we leave this place today, we pray for the leading and guiding of your spirit. May all that we say and all that we do be honorable to you, we pray. May we accomplish your purposes. May we be solely devoted to you. And may we love beyond boundaries. We pray these things in Jesus' name today. Amen. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Pray that you have a great week. If we can help in any way, uh, let us know and uh, we'll do what we can. God bless you. Remember, you're allowed to visit inside today. So if you want to stick around and do that for a bit, you're welcome to do that. Thank you.